a lot of things are a lot more similar than what you'd, you'd imagine. I think, you know, going back eight, 10 years ago, I would have thought the strength program for a for an AFL team and, and the strength program for an NRL team and a rugby union team would be chalk and cheese. And, you know, they'd be totally separate entities where a lot of this stuff um, is pretty, pretty similar. It's, it's more about looking at the game, looking at the demands of the game. Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Hi, I'm your host, Jack McLean, and today my guest is Connor Daly. His key topic will be discussing the similarities and differences around preparing AFL to rugby union and rugby league athletes from a strength and conditioning perspective. Connor is a lead strength and power coach at the Essendon Football Club, an experienced strength and conditioning coach working in the sports industry, skilled in athletic development, strength coaching, speed and agility, and Olympic weightlifting. Strong communicator and professional coach with a Master of Science, focused in strength and conditioning from Edith Cohen University. Highlights from this episode, we discuss tips to helping strength conditioning coaches find their passion in the fitness industry, the importance of the physical preparation program assisting the football game plan, the similarities and differences between rugby union, league and AFL, factors to consider when prescribing strength and power sessions prior to field sessions, and the importance of understanding the demands of the game style and how to develop physical qualities to enhance performance and mitigate injuries. Before we start this episode, we have a quick 10 freebie ticket for our upcoming monthly get better plan live coaching call to claim your ticket make sure to direct message us hurry there's only seven spots available you can direct message us on any of your socials or email me at jackapapellicapro.com let's get into today's episode with connor welcome connor thanks for jumping on mate thanks for having me jack appreciate it yeah looking forward to our chat it's always good to, to talk shop in the weights room and, and conditioning side of things mate but Take us, before we dive into what you're currently doing at Essendon and, and the elite sport that you worked in across rugby codes, take us through back to the very beginning, mate. What age did you discover you had a passion working with elite athletes and, and being a strength and conditioning coach? Yeah, look, I, I probably was a little bit later than, than, than most people who kind of get into it. I, I, um, I had no idea coming out of school what I wanted to do. I think it was a bit of a reality check. I kind of only had a few courses down to go to uni and the one that I got was sports science. I mean, I liked sports. So I put down sports science and I didn't really know much about it. So I think at the time I had a, an idea of going through maybe doing P teaching or physiotherapy afterwards. And at a later date, I think I was kind of into the idea of sports psychology and just didn't really, didn't really know what the, the, the route was going to be. And yeah, I mean, even through the course, love the course, but just didn't, again, didn't see a, a pathway out of that. Mm-hmm. That was about 2008. I ended up going back and doing primary school teaching, did a post-grad in primary school teaching and did a years teaching afterwards. And, and again, found out that that wasn't my passion but still didn't really know um, what my passion was. So that's probably, I was about 25. I did a little bit of traveling after that and ended up in New Zealand for the, uh, the Rugby Union World Cup in 2011. Just going as like a, a fan hunter just to, to go and enjoy the, the festivities. Uh, while I was in New Zealand, I, I got put in touch with, with the strength conditioning coach, a mate of mine at uni, Darren Screen. He put me in touch with Blair Mill, who was the sevens, New Zealand sevens strength conditioning coach. He's now Toshiba in the Japanese competition. He's the HPM over there, but really good bloke and really good operator. And he, he just kind of invited me in to have a look at what they did, the Auckland-based New Zealand Sevens. And 
I think after that first session, I just knew this is, this is what I wanted to do. I was doing a bit of personal training at the time, probably like yourself, I started off PT stuff and I just saw the, the level that these, these guys operated at was so impressed. And then was lucky enough then that he kind of gave me the opportunity to come in, shadow him and then take sessions when he was away. And yeah, that was, that was the start of it, probably around 25. Oh, that's great to hear that. Yeah, it resonates with me, mate, as well. It took me a little while to, to work out what I wanted to do in the industry. I knew I was passionate about fitness and health, but around the same sort of age, 25, 26, before I sort of found the love for elite sport. You mentioned that session. What, what sort of inspired you and how did the, you know, that penny drop sort of moment sort of click? Was it speed based stuff that you saw? Was it the stuff they were doing in the gym? Was there any particular moment that you sort of recall that you knew this is something that you wanted to do? I think just, yeah. I mean, it was the, it started, I mean, I, I played sport and stuff growing up and I played, you know, intercounty Gaelic football, but it was very, you know, like your standard basic stuff you take your own warm-up so you jog a lap and then i saw the prep that these guys had and it was just you know whatever they were doing and the mechanics of what he was taking through the warm-up instantly clicked and, and you know it seems like a very basic thing now but at the time i was kind of like this is pretty impressive and then i saw some of the con stuff like mas and things like that he was taking them through just looked to me like it had a purpose whereas a lot of the, the conditioning stuff i'd been exposed to previously was a bit more you know, generic and made up on the spot. So, I mean, not that that's, not that that's the, the defining trait of a, you know, of a good session, but it was, it was just that, you know, that first session kind of stood out to me that these guys were at a different level. And then the strength work when it jammed and just the kind of professionalism that these particular athletes had, top class sevens guys. And, you know, Charles Pieter was one of them. He went on to be an all black and he's been in England now, but these guys were very obviously at a different level than what I'd seen before. That, that was it. I just kind of realized this is something I want to be a part of. And, it's something I'd like to do going forward. And for the listeners tuning in that are on that path at the moment, they're not quite sure where they want to go with their career. What would be your advice in terms of finding that passion uh, and having that light bulb moment? Yeah, look, I suppose getting getting as much exposure. If, if you think that strength conditioning is something that you want to do, then I think first of all, getting in and shadowing worthwhile coaches, coaches that you respect, or, or you know, or anybody really, you're gonna you're gonna find things that you like. That resonate with you, no matter who the coach is, if, if it's for you, I think, uh, yeah. And then pursuing opportunities after, after I did the New Zealand stuff, I, I moved to Melbourne maybe six months later and uh, just started reaching out to people. And, and one of the people I reached out to was, was a guy by the name of Brandon Whelan, who's, he's working with development in uh, rugby Australia. He's doing a little bit of work with the Wallabies Australia at the moment. And he was, he was, he was just a PT in a gym and, and he was doing a little bit of voluntary work. I think probably similar to, to yourself at Murph. I came in under him and then he moved up and I moved up and, and that pattern continued. And that was the first time where I got to kind of take ownership of a program. So I'd say people get in and, and shadow and observe and then kind of seek out opportunities to, to put your own spin on things and, and uh, do your own programming. Yeah. Great advice, mate. Couldn't agree anymore in terms of just keep putting yourself out there and shadow is under great coaches. And it, it's quite surprised how much an impact of just simply seeing an environment can have on you. Oh, it's massive. Yeah. It's, it can change everything. And I think that you'll have all these different learning stages. And I think, you know, I'm still pretty young in my career. And I've had so many moments where I thought that's right. I've got the answers and, and yeah. figure it out. And then, you know, a couple of months later, you realize it was a, it's a, a you know, granite, grain of sand at the beach. It, you know, it, there's always yeah. it's such a cliche, but there's always so much to learn. And that's, that's the beauty of it. That's the most frustrating part about this career, I think. But that's also the, the beauty of it is you're going to constantly evolve and constantly grow in the, in the space. And you, and you mentioned Blair Mills. What were some other strong influences of your career that have helped sort of shape your, the way you do things from your, your methods, but also your coaching philosophy? 
yeah, so so Blair was the first first exposure, and then and then obviously Brendan was brilliant, giving me my chance. You know, he's gone on to be very successful. I suppose another coach I would have worked with after that was Nick Henderson. So he was the guy who you know I moved I moved home after after kind of a two year stint in, in Melbourne, but but in the in the voluntary work I'd worked with the Junior Gold Cup, which is you know an under 17s competition with the Melbourne Rebels, and one of the coaches there was Nick Henderson, and and. You know, he sought me out maybe six, eight months later when I was back in Ireland and offered me the opportunity to head up the academy at the Rebels. And, you know, he would have been a, a big impact on me in, in terms of learning. It's not just about the gym, not just about the conditioning. It's about how it kind of ties back in and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, looking at what they want to do, you know, with the game plan as a coach. So that kind of gave me a little bit of a, again, I thought I'd take it out, you know, the gym stuff and then realize there's more to it. It's more about the the football program and tying it all in. And then once I got into the Rebels, Bryce Kavanaugh was the, the HPM there, who I, you know, I'm sure you've heard of before. And he was, a, he was an absolutely top class operator. He was the kind of fellow who you wouldn't go to him with a question unless you almost had the answer because he, he, you know, he fired back at you and he grilled you just as hard. So with, you know, it made you really prepare and really think things through, you know, and I still take a lot from, from the time I spent with him. And then Shane Lahad was, um, the strength and he was the head strength conditioning coach at that time as well. He came in a little bit after me. So I still, I've been around longer than him, but he's a, he's a top operator. He's a really good fella. And, and I, I learned a lot from him about how he probably adjusted coming from a different environment with less tigers coming into the rebels. You see his journey was something that kind of informed some of the decisions I made later on when I was, was changing codes and changing clubs. And then I suppose that the, the last couple would be the sea eagles. I worked with a guy by the name of Camp Ferguson, who was our rehab SNC and He's a top class operator as well. He's gone on to, he's now the high performance manager at the Gold Coast Titans. He just really showed me the, the importance of setting a standard and holding that and, and how players respond to that consistent standard and being pushed. He was really, really got, got the best out of the players in a, in a time of badly. And then uh, Sean Murphy has been fantastic. He's always so generous with his time. He's, he's a really good operator and he's really helped me kind of transition from rugby league to AFL, understand the demands of the game and I think the environment that he's created at, uh, at Essendon has been top class. So, you know, got great operators there, Alex Cajun as well, and Nick Kane being the head physio. Like they're, they're just all good operators that have created a really good environment. Fantastic journey, man. I mean, the couple of things that I wouldn't mind diving into a little bit more detail, particularly the first one you mentioned early on there about, yeah, you feel like you start to develop confidence in how you do things in the gym and in the field in your sort of own silo. And then it opens up this world of, okay, how do I join the dots in terms of how does this transfer onto football performance and, and turning into a football program. For those listening in that may not understand what that actually means, what, what would that mean to you? Is that a, a thing that you're thinking about when you're designing a program? Is it for how you communicate that program to the athletes so then they understand what this is going to help them with on the field? Or is it bringing the coaches on board from a buying perspective? Talk us about what that means to you in terms of helping the game plan and, and a football program. Yeah, mate, that's a, that's a great question. I think probably a little bit of all of that. I think if I use Manly as an example, you know, we had Dez Hassler in there and, and he wants to play a certain way. He wanted to, he was very clear about the type of football he wants to play and what team he wants us to be. And it was, it was gritty and it was being able to grind and it was being able to wear teams down. And, and I think then understanding that, knowing that we kind of supplemented some of our strength work with strongman circuits or circuit work or things like that, where it's just about less about developing maximal strength or power or really doing things, you know, really clearly by the book. And just about staying in it, developing a little bit more of a mental resilience. So that's part of it. And then I suppose when you're, when you're in the gym and you're, I think you're going through the, your, your exercises and some exercises resonate more with athletes than others and they, they don't 
And some guys don't like buying into the accessory work or some guys don't like buying big lifts. And if you can sell that back, if you can give them examples of, of where that, that'll be beneficial to them or how that'll help them or, or where it ties into the game, then I think it's always an, an easier sell. You don't need to always have to explain everything. Sometimes it could be a waste of time, but don't always explain in, in big detail. But if you can, if you can kind of tie in what you're doing to the why and how that'll benefit them, I think it's always, it's always beneficial. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, thank you for sharing. And, and the other thing that stood out to me was that by working with Shane, it, it helped him form and seeing how he transferred, uh, changed codes, how it's helped your transfer from, from rugby to, to AFL. What would be, it's a pretty common thing and probably one of the best things about an SNC is we're not stuck to like a tactical coach where you're either a soccer coach, or a football coach, or rugby, you've got to stick to your sport more or less. We get to spread across all sport, which is a great thing and, and definitely seems to be something where the industry is going and it's almost a strength to have a team that's adverse across all different sports to lean on. What are some of the important things that you've learned during your time in changing from, from rugby to AFL? Yeah, I think a lot of it is, again, we'll touch on it a little bit, but the similarities and differences, but it's a lot of things are a lot more similar than what you'd, you'd imagine. I think, you know, going back eight, 10 years ago, I would have thought the strength program for, a, for an AFL team and the strength program for an NRL team and a rugby union team would be chalk and cheese and, you know, they'd be totally separate entities for it. A lot of the stuff is pretty, pretty similar. It's, it's more about looking at the game, looking at the demands, looking at the athletes in front of you and addressing that with your programming. I think the learning from Shane the, that I got from Shane were probably being yourself and being consistent and being, being true to, to, to who you are as a coach. I think as cliche as it sounds, I think that was something that he did. He was, he was pretty, I think he's quite, he can be quite critical of himself, I think in terms of how he handled it, but I, I thought he was, he came across very genuine and he got buy-in immediately because of that. And, he, he drove a high standard and obviously there, there can be other issues with, with how, you know, coming in and not maybe acknowledging what's come before you. But, but I always thought that, you know, the, the way he presented himself, players, it really resonated with the players and, and they took things on board. And that's something I tried to carry through and, and just be, be myself and, and, you know, be honest and, and true to that. And I think yeah, that resonates with people. Well said, mate. And reflecting on your career today, what, what would be some highlights that spring front of mind that you're proud of? Yeah, it, it's funny. I, I was thinking about that lately and it's, it's not the obvious stuff. It's not the, the, the kind of, you know, the, I mean, the big wins or things like that. I mean, going back as far as the sevens, I think doing a little bit of work with one of the blokes there and helping him to learn how to swim. The, they had, the boys had a swimming session and some of the lads were flying again. Some of the lads were up and down and they were well able to do it. And then he couldn't swim. So teaching him how to swim is something that still stands out kind of 10 years later. I think uh, probably the big thing would be kind of the relationships they're the things I'll take with me. I think we, we were quite successful. We had a great, we had a great squad with the, the under 17s junior gold cup team with the rebels that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And we got to the grand final and, and we ended up losing, but it was probably again, the, the people you worked with, the relationships you had, like I've still got that really close friendship. Henderson, we had some great players in that squad who it's been so great watching their journey since. I think there were three wallabies, maybe four wallabies, Rob Valentini, Rob Leona, Jordan Elichte and, and Hone Damasuli for they would have come through that, that period and they're now Wallabies and you know we had another bloke Jacob Lordy who's who's now a, kind of a Hollywood A-lister he's gone on to, to do a different thing altogether but just keeping track of those people and seeing how they evolve I think that's 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 probably something I take I think it madly it's, it's funny the worst year we would have had in terms of performances and in terms of where we finished on the ladder we got a big we, we lost a lot of games I think we came second from bottom but we we beat Melbourne in Melbourne and we beat the Brisbane Broncos in Brisbane and 
again, just the relationship with those those players at that time. It was just a, a fantastic thing, something I still look back on and still have, you know, the, the kind of enjoyment they got out of those wins and what we took from it. I think they were they were huge. And then probably this year, I mean, again, it's a year we want to improve on at Essendon, but I think uh, being a part of the Queen's birthday game against Collingwood is just that, that experience, just being on the sidelines. You're not even out there sitting on the sidelines and getting goosebumps with the atmosphere. It's, it's pretty incredible. 100,000 people at the G. Hard to replicate. Yeah, I can imagine. And on the flip side, mate, some challenges that you've faced and, and how have you grown from it? What have you learned from those challenges? Yeah, I think so probably, I mean, one of the obvious ones would be changing environments. So going from, let's say the Rebels to the Sea Eagles, you're starting fresh and, and then going from the Sea Eagles across to, to Essendon. You know, even, even within that, we had a transition at Manly where we had a new head coach come in after two years and, and new staff along with them. And, and that transition can be, can be, can be pretty daunting. I mean, you know, yourself, sport is a tough one. It's, it's an environment where it can be quite volatile. But again, I think if you're consistent and you're pretty honest and pretty open, if you're just yourself, I think that can, that can definitely help with those things. Like I said, I think the other big thing would be, uh, probably again from, from a younger days through to now is putting your ego aside and putting insecurities aside. So either you think you know it all or you're worried that you don't know anything. I think putting that aside and realizing that it's okay to, to, to ask people for help, to talk to people about things and, and really, I think, you know, that's where we're having a good network and having good mentors is invaluable. And, and then having a really good department around you is huge as well, because they'd be the big things that they're the, the big wins. I think is, is just having those people to bounce ideas off. And then I think yeah, that another challenge is just another learning is probably respecting what's come before you. So whatever environment you come into, you don't try and change everything at once. I think that was something that Bryce kind of hammered into me early doors was, you know, you pick three big things, maybe you identify those three big things that you'd like to to change or impact and then you build on that and then year by year you know you build that out until you know eventually your program looks like what you envisioned but I think you definitely have to respect the person you know what the person who was there before you has done and build on on their successes rather than trying to do everything yourself. Yeah it'd be good to touch on that a little bit more. Have you seen uh, obviously Bryce drilled it in but have you seen a situation where too much change has happened in a year and what are some of the side effects of that for the coaches listening in Yeah, to be aware of lots of change? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think probably the biggest one would be, again, when we, we know we had a new HPM, a new staff as, at Madley following a new head coach coming in. And I think the first year of adding new performance staff, you're going to get little, little things pop up. So there's going to be some sorts of changes. So we had kind of new conditioning, a new outlook on conditioning and things like that. And we didn't have any major, major issues, but I think it was just, you have to have an awareness that things will pop up and it's not to be too reactive to those things. I think if you expect that first year is always going to be a little bit of a tricky one. So I think that's why anytime I see a new, new head coach and new HPMs and things go to a club and, and you know, there's going to be a lot of change, you know, I wouldn't get too down on them if they're not instantly successful, because I think that they're just going to lay the platform in that first year for the future success. But I think you have to be aware of that and again, respect what was come before you and otherwise I think you're setting yourself up for a lot of soft issues. Yeah, no, well said, mate, and thanks for sharing. And for, in terms of coaches going into a new environment, we're sort of at that time of year where people are moving around and, and there's a lot of change at this, you know, in October for the team sports, pro sports. When you're going into a new environment, you, you mentioned three big things that you really focus a lot of your energy on in, in, in doing well in a in new program and try not to do much more than that. How long would you spend in the program before you come up with those three things or are the, or are the three things that are sort of your non-negotiables from a philosophy point of view that no matter where you go, you're going to take with you? 
Yeah, probably. I mean, probably a little bit of both. I think going in initially, it'd be good to have an idea of what your identity is as a coach and what are the things that you'd like to see. Mm. And then you see what, what's kind of gone on before. I mean, obviously, starting in your role, you're going to talk to the people who were in there before you. So you'll have a fair idea going in of what you know, may or may not be in place that you like. And then, yeah, it's just probably have your non-negotiables or have the things that you'd really like to get in there to some extent. And then think about how you can kind of build that across. Obviously, I think it, there's a reflection period. I think we always have to reflect, you know, daily, weekly, yearly, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, but I think, you know, especially those first couple of weeks, you, you'll go in, you'll try things, you know, try a few of those big rocks and, and reflect on the success of the main mean kind of tempering your expectations and, and what you can get done. And you might have to change those plans a little bit, but I think uh, having that flexibility is kind of key anyway in, in our, in our industry, whether that's, you know, because coaches get overzealous on the field and they want to flexibility with our programming is, is pretty key across the board. Yeah, for sure. Moving into your key topic, mate, the similarities and differences from AF preparing AFL athletes to, to rugby union, rugby league, forward, starting with, with AFL, what would be some key considerations? From a strength and power perspective, yeah. Look, I think, like I said before, I'll probably just touch on it. the similarities are, are more more evident than, than the differences, really. And I think it's again looking at the, the game plan of the coach and the demands of the sport. First and foremost, I probably would have anticipated a lot more differences coming across. And even in terms of culture, I was worried that you know potentially players would be adverse to lifting or might not be as as big on the gym or the strength work as potentially they had in rugby union and league where it's embedded it's it part of the you know it's part of the fiber of the sport but I was so pleasantly surprised that there's a, there's a really good you know lifting culture at Essendon and we've been able to build on that so I think the you know the differences the similarities first of all are kind of you're, you're going to try and you know increase tissue tolerance you know look to improve strength and power output look at movement mechanics and improve on them and I'd probably just you know so again support that game plan the big differences would be I suppose in league, you have the luxury that guys want to put weight on and keep weight on. And mm. it's, it's probably the battle you have in season is guys tend to, to lose weight as they go along. And you're trying to keep that weight on them. So, you know, you're trying to get as much volume into some of them as you can. And I, I have to say, I have a lot of respect for the, some of the boys that come in on a Monday, they'd be absolutely bashed up, but they'd still get, you know, high volume upper body sets. They couldn't lift their arms over their heads, but they'd still get as much upper body, upper body volume in as they could because they knew that they had to going into the following weekend just to keep that in. I think yeah, in AFL, it's obviously a little bit different because of the, the high volumes on feet and you have to respect that the, the impacts that, that, you know, increasing body weight can have on that just with, with you know, just overuse injuries, things like that. So mm-hmm. I think that's a big one. And it's having that awareness. So rather than trying to just get as much weight into weights into them as possible, it's more about kind of selecting houses and rep schemes, et cetera, to kind of maximize strength and maximize power. So getting as much bang out of what they already have rather than just trying to build muscle. Yeah. Yeah. Probably need to be a little bit more keyed into, into those athletes and they can be quite responsive to, to a lot of things as well. I suppose, again, like I said, it's, it's, um, weight training is ingrained into, into rugby and rugby league. It's, it's just part and parcel. It's, you know, it's going back as long as the sports around. You probably have a little bit less time in AFL. So you kind of need to get maximize your time in the gym. It's it probably sits a little bit lower on the totem pole, but still just as important. So it's probably about getting little micro doses in feed mechanics and things like that in other places. And then, yeah, I suppose because of the lower running volumes in, in rugby league, you could probably push in the gym a little bit more. You can kind of go for those, those one or 2% heavier in the lifts. Whereas again, it's more of a risk reward balance in AFL. If you shoot 
push the body too much in a, a trap bar deadlift or, or a squat, and they pull up a little bit sore and it affects their running. You know, it, it's a lot more of a knock-on effect than potentially you would have in, in your rugby. Gary Howard, who's, who's tuned into the live, has just written in a question on this topic. How do you balance between strength and speed in, in rugby? I suppose the luxury we had at, at Maddie was we had a speed coach for the, the last three years. We'd always try and tie in, I suppose, uh, again, same thing. I think strength and conditioning has evolved where it's not really in the silos that it used to be. So it's not like strength, mm-hmm. speed. Mm-hmm. I think you're, you're trying to collaborate work together as much as possible. So we had a speed coach who took all of our, our work on field and preseason, it's kind of 45 minutes of session. So getting a lot of, a lot of work into the boys in preseason and then keep touching that in season. And then I'd get my hour in the gym most days. So probably a pretty, pretty equal balance. Probably when it comes to in season, trying to maintain kind of the, the maximal strength and, and then your speed exposures as well. And we just work together to kind of collaborate on that and, and get as much, as much trade off as we could. So whether it's off the back of a strength exercise to do an explosive effort or, or a biometric effort, probably just tying the two in together like that. And between the three codes, have you seen a program where lower body strength loads will happen before field? And, and what's your sort of philosophy now that you've seen AFL as well? And do you think there's a place for lower body power or strength before main training sessions in pre-season or even in season? Yeah, I think, I mean, at Madley last year, so my last year at Madley, we, we did that. We did a little bit of power work pre-field and then the players went out I think uh, probably exercise selection and, and the volumes you're looking at are, are the big thing. That'd be, I think anything you can see, the players can kind of adapt to, to the majority of stimuli, but I'd probably be pretty selective in, in avoiding Nordics before send the players out for kind of high speed exposures, things like that. But I think, yeah, if, if you're pretty clear, if communication again across the departments are pretty good and you know what to anticipate on a field session or you know charity conditioning coach at the HPM and, and you know what, what kind of issues they're going to get, there are probably ways to tie in. I think it can definitely be done. It's just a case of exercise selection, maybe not too many limit the invasive exercises like like a Nordic or calf raises, things like that, before they go out and do you know, high intensity efforts on the field. But I yep. think, uh, look, it absolutely could be done. It's probably just, again, what's the philosophy of the program? What do you want to get out of the program? Yeah, it's probably more discussion in the department and get everyone's input and thrash it out yeah and what was one of the or some of the key motives for manly at the time to bring that change in to the program it was i think it was just players were getting a little bit sluggish in the gym in the afternoon and later on in the week for a power session so yeah. just to, to kind of freshen it up and, and keep them get them get the most out of it we get the boys in and, and get the power lifts done and then then send them out to, to get a couple of speed exposures into the field session so it, we found that it kind of sparked them up a little bit. But again, it was done gradually. It was, you know, not something that we threw all through everything at once. Again, we respected what we had done the previous years. So we had to kind of manage that going in. But it was probably just more, yeah, just e- easing into it. I thought it worked reasonably well. Yeah. And what and you and touching on sort of the strength and conditioning side of things, if we're looking at sort of reducing or mitigating soft tissue injuries in, in the sports. What, how do the methods sort of, how, how are they similar in, in rugby union, rugby league and AFL and how do they differ? I think so far in my experience, it's been pretty similar. It's probably looking at, looking at the demands of the sport. So, you know, there's going to be higher incidences, potentially hamstrings in AFL or, or ACL, things like that. So looking at the demands of the sport, no matter what sports you're in. And then just, I think, ensuring that you're kind of exposed to players to the appropriate, appropriate stimuli or on the field and in the gym and, and yeah, just getting an appropriate recovery whole session. I think, yeah, it's 
probably a collaborative approach just again, talking about it as a department, identifying what are the things, the individuals you have, what are the, maybe the, uh, the patterns or what things we need to, to allow for. And I think it's pretty, pretty consistent across whatever sport you're in. It's just identifying the, the high risks and working together, communicating as a department, communicating with the medical department about what interventions to put in place, what things to, to really dial in on to, to mitigate those risks. And for the strength and conditioning or high performance staff listening in, if you're preparing to work or your goal, your dream is to work in one of these three different codes, would there be important skill sets that uh, differ between the three or is it or are some of the key areas of skills as, from a sports science or strength and conditioning point of view, rehab, do they all sort of, are they, do they all assist you in working at, at this level? Man, very good question. I think if I could go back, I'd probably, if I knew I was going to be on this path, I'd, I'd probably get cracking a bit earlier than 25 and I'd probably just try and get around as many sports as I could. I'd, I'd get down and, and learn from a really good athletics coach and learn about movement mechanics. And I'd probably get in and see what a gymnastics coach does and probably get exposure to all the different field sports. I think the more, the more sports that you can kind of get in and observe, see a good coach and kind of in practice, I think that that's going to serve you. Again, there's more, probably more similarities across them all than there are differences. It's just the understanding of what are we trying to achieve? What are the demands of the sport? I think they, they're the big things you always work back from that. And, and then what are the, the, what are the, what's the coach trying to achieve on the field? What are the, you know, what are we trying to build them for? But it's probably a lot more similarities than differences. And for the developing footballers listening in, what excites you when, you know, let's say the new Essendon draft pick that gets drafted later in the month of November, what excites you when you start to see them moving on the field or, or in the gym that you think, oh yeah, we, we're going to have a pretty impactful player here? Yeah, look, we, we've been I'm pretty good with their, pretty lucky with their, their draft picks this year. They're, the boys could all, they're all sponges. So I think for, I mean, first and foremost is being receptive to, uh, to everything and soak up and, and, you know, take on as many good habits as you can. Everyone's going to have a different background in lifting and, and, you know, even different footy levels. But I think, uh, first of all, being receptive. So if you're a young footballer coming in, just being receptive, soaking things up and kind of picking up as many good habits as you can prep and, and that sort of thing as you can. Working on movement mechanics is always going to help. So, you know, we get these young guys in the gym and some take more work than others. I think if you get your mechanics down, if you're a good mover in the gym or, or on the field before you get drafted, I think that's going to be a, a huge help. That's something I, I definitely recommend. And then just good habits around recovery, sleeping well, eating well, hydrating well, all that kind of stuff. They're the little simple one percenters that you can shape a career around. Obviously, uh, I think it all comes back to footy ability. So footy's number one. If you can work on things like mechanics and good recovery practices, good habits, I think you're setting yourself up for a, for a longer career and a more successful career. But, and a question for the parents, there might be a few parents listening in of, of young footballers. What age would you recommend sending their, their father, uh, their, their, sorry, their son or daughter to the weight room with, with a coach working on the technique or, or maybe an athletics track working on their running technique? What age do you think they should uh, start from a... Uh, yeah, it's from a different point of view. That's a great question. I wrote an article on this before and I got, I got kind of pulled up on by the editor. He wasn't, he wasn't thrilled with my answer on that. Yeah, it's gone back a while. Look, I think, yeah, I mean, I, would, I don't have the articles in front of me or anything like that. So I don't want to kind of give too many specific numbers, but we'll have to source it. Kids, kids need to be kids. I think kids need to be kids and, and they need to just get out there. And I think that's probably one of the, the best things they can do is get kids off the iPads and off the couch, get, get them out in the world, do all the things that, I'm going to lump you in a bit, but like all the things we would have done as kids or certainly mm. my age group, we didn't have any technology. So we were just out front of the Like that's a big part of it. And then I suppose once, once you're kind of starting to grow into yourself and, and 
you know, you switch it ready to once, once a kid is kind of ready to start switching on probably those early teens, things like that. I, I, I'd be, I'd be wary of taking a childhood. That's going to be case by case, I suppose as well. I don't want to kind of be too concrete on numbers there because I, I'd like to have the research in front of me, but yeah, I can't, can't see the benefit of, of getting kids in, you know, prepubescent. I can't see that outweigh the, I can't see the benefits outweigh the, the negative aspect. So be very much guided by yeah, how much your, your child is enjoying the activities. I think enjoyment has to be first. Yeah. I think the, the longer, the longer that these kids, like again, number one is you've got a lot of, we're talking about it from, a, from an elite sports point of view and we're telling, you know, that's obviously really important, but I think yeah, the reality is not everyone's going to be a professional sports person. Everyone could be an active adult if they're kind of given the right introduction to sports and activities and they kind of grow in love for it rather than people are too serious too early. They may kick on and, and be successful as a result, or they may just pack it in and, and not enjoy it and walk away. And then you've got, you know, all the, all the negative aspects that come with entry, lifestyle. No, well said, mate. Yeah, thank you for sharing. I sort of sprung that one on you as well. So sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was great. Thank you for the, for the insight. Moving over to a bit of a lighter side, a bit of a get to know you. Connor, mate, what, what's your favorite thing to do on your day off? Yeah. I mean, like I said, if I don't have, don't have a partner or any kids or anything. So, I mean, my time is, is kind of my own, which, you know, probably isn't, isn't a good thing either, but I enjoy my training. So I try to get that to the gym or go for a run. Most days off, get out and play a bit of golf. I've got a game teed up tomorrow with the mace. So looking forward to losing a few golf balls. Just, yeah, try and get out of the house. Like the beauty of, of living in Australia and why I, you know, love living in this part of the world is, is the kind of the outdoor lifestyle, getting to the beach. I'm lucky enough to live in Port Melbourne. So the beach is close by. So get in for a swim, even though Aussies find it a little bit cold this time of year, I'm, I'm okay. So yeah. Irish jeans are strong. So yeah, just getting that out and, and just kind of enjoying my time and catch up with mates and things like that. And what about on the flip side, mate, what, what fires you up? What are your pet work life, pet peeves? Yeah, I'm reasonably, I'm reasonably easygoing. I suppose things like a quote that stands out to me is, is like the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. And that, and that kind of, you know, if, if the lads leave the gym messy, I'm kind of trying to be pretty hard. And with that, I'll chase them up and get them back to pack down. And by and large, they're pretty good. But yeah, I think um, making sure that the, the facilities and stuff are respected, I think that's that's always one. And then probably timekeeping. I'm pretty, I'm a bit of a stickler for for the boys being on time and make sure they're there a minute early rather than a minute late. And unless they've got a valid excuse, maybe the, the two big things. Any any punishments that you spring out with those to the point a good one this year we had, a, we had a wheel there was a wheel in the wheel kind of thing so oh, yeah. there's yeah. a couple a couple of interesting ones on that i think we had one or two gym sessions where, uh, where will snelling will snelling was in his budgies for one of the gym sessions which i think <laughs> he was he was pretty happy about he's what and he's used to get the rig out but yeah there's a there's a few little punishments there but i think the boys are really good matt quilty was the main man heading that up so he hit, he held them to a good standard with that one Oh, that's awesome. Uh, you, you sort of answered two questions in one. I was going to ask what your favorite quote or life motto is. But yeah, oh, well, look, the, yeah, the standard you are passing, the standard you accept. I think another one, Roy Keane, I think stole it from, from Benjamin Franklin, but, but failed to prepare, prepare to fail. I think yeah, you kind of set yourself for positive or negative by how you prepare for things. I think that's something that every, every aspiring professional athlete should, should take on board. And then tying in with that one is probably another pretty cliche one, but like yeah, hard work beats talent when talent fails to work hard. I think, uh, yeah, I think it was, a, but I can't remember the guy's name, but he's a basketball coach. I think Kevin Durant kind of stole it, but they're just two things. I think, again, going back to our, to our young aspiring footballers and our, you know, our young professionals, I think they're two things that put that in your locker and, and, and kind of 
always put your best foot forward, always come in with a, an open mind and ready to, to learn and to grow and it'll, it'll stand to you. You'll, you'll have a longer, more successful career. Yeah. And before we start to wrap it up, mate, going back to your topic, was there anything that we didn't touch on that you'd like to share in terms of the differences or similarities in, in preparing athletes for those three different coats? No, I'm pretty happy. I've got most of it across there. I think, yeah, like we said, it's probably just looking at whatever, whatever sport, whatever code, whatever setup you're in, it's just looking at the demands in the sport of the athlete in front of you and what their, their kind of strengths and possible deficiencies are. And then, yeah, working from that, I think whatever coach is taking a group can, can take something from that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on, Connor, and sharing with us your, your coaching journey today and being so open and honest as well and, and giving us a great insight to what it's like to work across three three different codes. There wouldn't be many people that have done it in the strength conditioning industry. So to speak to someone directly is been massively insightful for myself and, and no doubt the uh, listeners as well. What's on the horizon for you for the for the rest of 2022, mate? Yeah, it's just looking forward to kind of getting back in and, and getting into preseason. The lads, it's been a long break, so I've kind of been keeping in contact with them and catching up every now and again. We're looking forward to just ripping in, attacking this and getting stuck into 2023 when the season rolls around. Looking forward to seeing you on the sidelines. Yeah, absolutely. Likewise, mate. Thank you. And for, for those tuned in as well, thanks, Gus, for, for your question. Hopefully, no doubt you enjoyed the answer. For anyone that tuned in halfway through, make sure to watch the recording we've got on our YouTube channel and then we'll post it. This we'll publish on our podcast over the next couple of weeks. But thanks again, Connor. Really appreciate you coming on, mate, and, and sharing with us your, your coaching journey and the similarities between rugby and, and AFL. Pleasure. Thanks very much, Jack. Appreciate it. Cheers, mate. And our next live chat for those listening in is with Phil Morland this Thursday at 1 p.m. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as Q&A segment, aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian of the Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, so I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be and then game changes yeah, game changes, whatever that might be and look it probably keeps me in a job but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and you know and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary it unravels everything that i've been working with an athlete for yeah yeah another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the prepare like a pro live chat show here's an example with academy member rama davies the strength conditioning coach at the box hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. 
Um, mate, my, my question to you was you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat. Um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did um, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it, yeah, certainly, yeah, has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is, is gratitude. I spend a lot of my time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just to, be, to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, it might be whatever as an S&C coach, you know, if something's you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that, in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's, that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm -hmm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then. And, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things. And, um, if I kind of didn't have that fear, fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and yeah. and yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.